Welcome to SGTM Talks. We hope you find this encouraging and inspiring. The reading is from Philippians 3, verses 1 to 14. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve Christ by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through, Christ, through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. We're coming into the middle of a, 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 a series of studies on Paul's letter to the Philippians, and uh, Linda read very nicely for us um, uh, chapter 3. And it starts in this very odd way. Could we go to verse 2, um, uh, Jay? Have you ever had the experience of walking into a room and you realize that you've just stepped into the middle of a massive row? <laughs> the people there kind of look up you like that and, and then they look away and you see they're struggling to hold in their anger and there's this atmosphere that you pick up instantly and a cold fear slides down your back and maybe you retreat hastily apologizing as if it was your fault. In this passage, we have just stepped into a room at the moment where the Apostle Paul is letting out a yell. He is yelling in a letter um, at a group of Christian teachers who have come into the little church that he's founded in Philippi. And they've started telling the new Greek and Roman believers that if they want to belong to his church, they, the men have to be circumcised, the Jewish ritual of initiation. Now at this point in history, there is not yet one religion called Christianity and a separate one called Judaism. There's only varieties of Judaism and schools of rabbis. 
there's the Pharisee school and the temple school and there's the Essenes out in the desert and this small radical sect called Jesus, Jesus Judaism. And their leader, a breakaway Pharisee called Rabbi Paul, um, has been teaching the revelation that because of Jesus, the way is now open for non-Jews to become part of God's people. Now these leaders understand that what Paul says is true and it's a complete revolution. Like Paul, their life has been spent mostly avoiding contact with non-Jews. They've tried to avoid doing business. They did mostly try not to eat with them so that they don't get kind of um, ritually um, contaminated. And they certainly don't go and worship with them. But now they see that Paul is right. Jesus has declared a new kingdom of Israel in which non-Jews get to be included. This is the unbelievable healing of the hundreds of years of hurt and defeat. Now, they see, this is the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament about the restoration of poor, conquered Israel. In Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet, chapter 8, he promises, the days are coming when God will restore the nation. And in those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, please let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. And look, here it is in Philippi. But, but, these teachers reason, okay, if these people are now part of God's people, if we're all in, then they must keep God's laws. And the law of Moses says that you are to mark belonging to God's chosen people if you're a man in your body through circumcision. And when Paul discovers that they are teaching this, he goes ballistic. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators. Why has a red line been crossed here? Why does Paul see this as so fundamental a betrayal of the gospel that he's been preaching? Why does it matter now? I want to suggest two interlinked answers. The first is that Paul sees that it's bad psychology. It gives you confidence in something that you has done, not what Christ has done for you. Circumcision for an adult is minor but painful surgery. It's a bit like getting a tattoo in the joining the army or going into the navy or even joining a gang. It's a sign that you belong. And from these believers' point of view, it probably looks like an expression of sincere faith. I have proved through the pain in my body that I am serious about this. But Paul sees that it will subtly misplace their faith. Instead of being, thank you God for reaching out to me, a sinner, faith becomes, I passed the test, I'm in. I've made the grade, and it turns on you, not God. It turns God's grace in Jesus back into an initiation ritual. The city of Philippi is full of temples, and the people there would be used to philosophical schools and mystery religions that made progress in faith a matter of undergoing certain rituals, and each time you went through a ritual, you get more knowledge and more wisdom. Getting closer to God is totally tied up with climbing up a hierarchy from novice to middle grade 
to initiate to Archmage. It's a bit like going up the job bandings in the NHS. And it's totally tied into this Greek way of thinking, whereby God is at the top and we live in a universe of tiers. There's God at the top and then sort of super angels and then medium level angels and then minor angels and so on. And, and kind of initiation is like climbing the ladder. Paul knew that this system was just ready and waiting to give itself a whole new Jewish set of clothes. It's what Paul calls the flesh. Literally carved into your body, privileging people with Jewish DNA, metaphorically about eating and about eat, being eaten, about dominance and about competition. It cannot be the mark of Christianity because it completely misses who Jesus is. It thinks spirituality is a ladder of achievement to create an elite. It forgets that Jesus came to the poor and to the outcast and to the lost. That is why Paul says so fiercely, look at me, I passed all of your tests. I am circumcised, I am a Pharisee, I am a super strict interpreter, I am faultless in my zeal for the law of Moses. And where did it get me? To persecute Christ by persecuting his people. But whatever I considered gain, I now count as loss for Christ's sake. That's the heart of Paul's good news. God has sown in Jesus that he does not value you based on where your body comes from, on your ethnicity. He does not value you based on what you know and understand. He doesn't even value you based on how good you are, based on what you've done. All human societies grade each other on some combination of these. We put some up and some down. But Paul says that is the flesh, biting and pushing and competing and gatekeeping. It's not what Christ came for. Not what Christ came for. The second reason I think Paul hates the idea of circumcision for, for new non-Jewish believers is that it actually subtly gets Judaism wrong too. It gets the Jewish law wrong too. Paul says, I want not a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Thank you, Che, brilliant. Not a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Righteousness there doesn't just mean a feeling of self-righteousness. I want to feel great about myself. It's a really basic word in the Jewish law. It comes from the word justice, to be just or upright. To be wanting a righteousness means that you want to be a person of justice, a person without guilt, a person who reflects the holy creative God. But turning the law of Moses into a divine entrance exam makes people want the, a righteousness of their own. And that completely misunderstands what righteousness is. Because it turns the law of Moses into passing the test, doing well on the holiness exam, being unimpeachable under cross-examination. <laughs> I'm looking at Cameron, barrister here. Can you see it becomes about you? It comes about your score, about whether you've passed, whether you're good enough. The teachers don't see that Christ has changed 
what righteousness is. Righteousness is not an exam score. It's a person. Being righteous means living in Christ, Paul's word, through the power of the Spirit, doing what he did, loving what he loved, seeing your life in his terms. I don't want to get 100% on the law exam anymore, says Paul in verse 10. I want to know Christ, yet to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection the dead. It's not about being good. It's about somehow participating in the life of this person in my way, in my place, with my people. It's about crying and hurting and acknowledging suffering and failing and being raised up again. Saying you need to be circumcised then, what these old teachers are saying, what they're really saying is the law of Moses, it's the gold standard. But no, says Paul, it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, we who boast in Christ Jesus. We are the entrance for God because we worship Jesus. We love Jesus together. Saying that the law is still God's, God's gold standard subtly warps what Christ has done because it ends up turning him into the one who kept the law most perfectly not the one who transforms the law. Living the law gave Jewish people their distinctive identity, showed God in their everyday life, but it was only a sign, a sign of the real deep life of God now revealed in the person of Jesus. So we're not facing the relationship of Jews and Gentiles in this church, I don't think. But, I think those false teachers are still in our heads in a lot of ways. Because we still all have a very deep human need to give ourselves prestige and credibility. Just like them, we attach prestige and status to having a certain kind of body, being thin in our case, or being attractive. Or we attach it to belonging to the right kind of institution. I went to Goldsmiths College, I trained to be a master carpenter. Or we attach it to what we've done. I raised 500 pounds for the British Heart Foundation by running a marathon. Or we attach it to our bad luck stories. I would have been a success, but I was fired. I was the victim of cuts. I was young and foolish, etc., etc. The point is they're all self-esteem stories. They help us keep our head above water. I'm okay, I'm doing okay, okay. Christian faith is terrifying and radical because it cuts across all of that. I am loved, I'm okay, because God loved me in Christ from before the world began. If we base our faith on the sense of self-esteem, we're back in the competitive system, the flesh. And we're ready to bolster ourselves, defend ourselves, and push others down. I need the good news, frankly, when I am an idiot. I need the good news when I am humiliated and ready to hit somebody back. I need the good news when I have just lost my job. I need the gospel when I am feeling like a train wreck. Only 
if Christ is the reality of who you are, will the gospel speak to everybody? Because it's got to be the gospel for the person with no achievements and no status. It's the gospel for criminals, for prisoners, for the socially unwanted, the person with mental illness, the person who cannot even speak. If God is going to bring all of us to him, it cannot be on the basis of what we are. It can only be on the basis of who Jesus is. Jesus says, Paul will transform the body of our humiliation into the body of his glory. It comes a little later on in Philippians. The other way, I think, that we believe those false teachers, those false teachers are still in our heads. We think, you know what, secretly, God still is the God of law. God has got very, 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 very high standards, and we failed them. The pass mark is 100%. We got 34. Not all bad, but not nearly good enough. But in this way of thinking, this is what happens next. But because of Christ, God is now satisfied with us. He's going to let us off. We're very, very grateful. Can you see how that story actually subtly warps the whole fabric of faith? Because it makes Christ the answer to a question that God never asks the world, which is, are you good enough for me? Are you good enough for me? It makes God the infinitely offended one for whom nothing less than perfection will ever do. And it makes Christ his placator. It splits the Trinity up. It makes God the demander and Christ the repairer. It makes, speaking very frankly, it makes God into our biggest problem. Because he has set us up to fail on that story. But that story is still going round and sometimes it's presented as the gospel. But it's not the gospel because it makes God into our biggest problem. Paul sees that only in Christ do we know what God is like, what he loves, what he wants. Only in Christ do we, who says, I and the Father are one, do we see that God is the God of grace from the beginning and that all his purposes are to make a world which reflects the love and the freedom and the joy of himself. Only in Christ do we see that our problem is less offending against the law than the power of violence and fear that captures our best attempts to be good. We need to be delivered from the powers. Only in Christ do we see that we need a heart transplant. <laughs> and only in Christ do we feel what that might actually be like. Only because of Christ do we give up trying to bank the successes and just let go and be the blinkered, self-important, hurtful, unkind, angry, mistaken people we really are before him, dependent on his grace. Only in Christ, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, do our deepest fears and desires get recognized and involved in God's love, not repressed or cut off. Only in Christ do we put the test away, walk out of the exam room, and out into real life.
Thank you for listening to SGTM Talks. We hope you found this insightful and inspiring and can tune in again soon. In the meantime, try out our website, sgtm.org.